Hi everyone, Mike Vinoy, Vice President of Marketing at Assure. And today we're gonna to talk about a really important topic. So if you live in a state where sexual harassment training is mandatory by law, um, then you're probably pretty up to speed on this topic. Uh, but, the, but the majority of states, this is not mandated by law. Um, it, it, and I wanna make really clear that this is, uh, that today's webinar has nothing to do with uh, today's uh, political climate, has nothing to do um uh with uh uh you know social movements uh we're, we're not taking any political sides here our job is to give entrepreneurs small businesses mid-sized companies uh growing businesses the best information we can to help you stay compliant and build great teams so that you can grow uh in in the and the fact is uh sexual harassment and educating your employees has been a legal responsibility since 1964 uh, under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. So uh, I think a lot of the real legal responsibility of an employer has been lost in a lot of the political cycles, a lot of the news cycles um, uh, that, that unfortunately end up getting so polarized. So today's discussion is really to give uh, uh, business owners uh, the best information possible, how you should be thinking about sexual harassment, uh, uh, in, in how do you create a work environment that is uh, a, a winning culture that can help you grow your business, and at the same time, stay compliant. But before you can stay compliant, you actually have to know you're compliant with, uh, which requires knowledge of the law. So have have the perfect guest to, to unpack this topic today. Uh, regular watchers of the show, you'll recognize uh, Mary Simmons. Mary is the Vice President of HR Consulting at Assure. Uh, also, for the past eight years, she's been an adjunct professor uh, at the New York Institute of Technology. Uh, and prior to Assure, Mary was the Director of HR Consulting for a 55-year-old HR consulting firm in New York. So, uh, great human being uh, and a really, really knowledgeable on this subject. So, welcome, Mary. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Okay, so let, let's just jump into it. So uh, why is it that <clears throat> we are advocating that all employers should be, what, whether you live in a state that is legally required or not, that all employers sh should be thinking about uh, anti-sexual harassment training? Well, and thanks, Mike, for the introduction. I'm so happy to be here to talk about this subject because it's really an important subject, right? So when we talk to employers, we're always talking compliance and productivity, right? And they intersect all the time. And this is a perfect example of that because yes, you wanna do this training to be compliant. So New York, Connecticut, California, Delaware, Illinois, and Massachusetts all mandate it. But for the states that don't mandate it, as you said, it's a federal law that it's that from Title VII that employers need to protect their employees against sexual harassment. And the importance of that is that it does tie back to productivity and it does tie back to, as you said, perfectly a winning culture, right? So there's a compliance piece to why we should be doing it. And there's a productivity piece to why we're doing it, because our employees, the employers that we support, your employees should feel as though they are respected and fully heard. And that way they can be fully productive. So that's the really, I think, the overreaching reasons that we should be doing it. But Mary, if we, Mary, yeah. can I come in on for a second? So I think there's something real important. So 
we're, we're today's conversation is going to focus on training on sex, uh, uh, anti-sexual harassment training but uh, you pointed something out that I think a lot of employers don't realize probably um, some states and we've said a few times now some states legally mandate you must provide anti-sexual harassment training um, I think everyone knows maybe everyone doesn't knows this title 7 out of the Civil Rights Act 1964 and all that kind of detail but the average person knows you can't discriminate based on uh, race, sex, et cetera. Um, but you said something, a really important nuance, that Title VII also mandates employers to pro protect, provide an environment to protect employer employees from it, not just don't discriminate against it. Am I saying that right? You are, you are. And, you know, people get caught up in, the, you know, and we're going to go over the definition, but sexual harassment is discrimination based on sex. And as an employer, we are responsible to protect our employees. And that protection goes to anybody who comes onto the work site, right? And these yep. definitions have been expanded. And yes, some of them got expanded uh, thanks to the Me Too movement but they get expanded every time there's case law. So every time there's a lawsuit that sort of pushes the limits, the courts are redefining what this means. And so employers are responsible to protect their employees from interns, from vendors, from you know contractors who come on site. And right. that's a lot of the questions we get from, uh, from our employers, right? Do, do I have to also give my interns and my 1099s this training? And the answer in the mandated states is irrequivocably yes. And my advice for best practices for the employers that aren't in those mandated states is also yes. Because if you're trying to create that culture that has a zero tolerance for any kind of harassment, then everybody who comes into the workplace, you know, save the vendors that I mentioned, but your 1099s and your interns should get the same training. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the point that I want to drive home before, and I'll let you get back to it uh, on, the, on the training component, is the legal obligation of an employer, it varies state by state whether you must provide training, right? But Correct. Every employer is legally responsible, not just to not discriminate in their hiring practices and their in their uh, compensation practices, et cetera, but they are legally required to protect employees from this discrimination. And so uh, th therein lies the context, I think, for for training, because if you are legally required to provide the protection from it and an employee uh, raises uh, a claim, uh, you find yourself in court you're going to have to defend what protective measures you put in place, right? You can't, it's not going to be good 100%. enough to stand in your heart and say, hey, I'm a good person. I don't discriminate. I didn't discriminate. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to say, you're going to have to demonstrate how you created the environment of protection on top of it. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's what we found, right? So <clears throat> employers that we support, that have unfortunately found themselves in courts uh, defending themselves against harassment, one of the first things that the court is going to ask is, A, do you have a policy that informs employees, um, and we're going to go over the policy in a minute, but do you have a policy 
for anti-discrimination and sexual harassment falls under that, right? And have you done any training so that your employees understand what, you know, definitions, what does, what is sexual harassment? Because I will tell you, Mike, one of, one of the things that we assist employers with is investigations. Somebody brings up a charge, you know, they feel like they've been discriminated against and we investigate. And never have I done an investigation and I've done lots where the employee goes, oh, you caught me. I meant to sexually harass that individual. Right. And and this may sound silly um, to, to listeners, but, you know, that, that employee often doesn't understand what constitutes sexual harassment. And that's why you need to do the training, right? To show that you have a culture of zero tolerance, as I said, that you are an inclusive employer, that you have a very <coughs> positive culture, right? And all of that leads to the success of your organization. Right, right, all right. Um, anything else you want to say on on why employers of all sizes, really no matter how big or small, maybe so maybe do touch on that. So Title Seven Civil Rights Act, nineteen sixty four. Um, this is law. not federal law. So this is not um, the Family Medical Leave Act or the Affordable Care Act or any any of these other federal laws that the smallest of employers are exempt from, right? If you have Correct. one employee, you fall under Title VII Civil Rights Act, you can't discriminate, period, right? So this is for every single employer, every single company of every single size, right? Right, and you know, again, a lot of times when I'm speaking with uh, potential, you know, employers to support, they'll say, well, I've never had a problem, right? And so, we're not just talking about being in compliance here and protecting your organization, although to me, that's the overreaching reason to do it. But if we dive into the bushes a little bit further, I do feel, um, and I think you'll agree, that it helps the culture of the organization. Anytime we do any kind of training, we're showing our employees that we want to invest in them and we want to give them the best tools to do the best jobs. And that means the employees and the managers. So the management training is very important here. Uh, and so they're really, just to recap what you said, there's two reasons. It's compliance, but it's also so that you can communicate to your employees that you have that zero tolerance and you, policy and that you want everybody to know that they will be respected and fully heard. And that goes a long way to attracting, which is new employees, which is very hard, to retaining employees. And the third piece that we've already talked about, which is to keep those employees productive so that they know they can raise their hand and give suggestions because they're going to be treated with respect. And God forbid something does happen because for most of the time, something does happen or things it's the it's the micro minor infractions that just kind of build up over time and eventually you have a straw breaking the camel's back there's no one single giant event eventually maybe somebody's had enough right if, and we're yeah and we'll talk and we'll talk about that um you know i'll give you some examples you know like i said nobody 
none of these employees go, oh, you caught me, Mary. I meant to sexually harass. It's usually ignorance, to be honest with you. And and I may give you these examples and you'll go, well, that, that sounds, you know, like they should have known better. But that's why we have to give the training. We have to explain to our employees mm -hmm. and our managers what this means. And so when we when we go to the next slide, right, and we talk about what is sexual harassment, listen, I want to give you the legal terminology, which is, you know, unwelcome behavior or sexual advances or requests for sexual favors and other verbal or physical harassment of a sexual nature. But you know, to make it, you know, simply stated, sexual harassment is discrimination based on sex. And recently the courts have said, all right, so there is protected categories that were defined by Title VII that we can discriminate against. And, you know, age, religion, creed, color, and sex is one of the protected categories. And so recently with a lot of changes and a lot of case law coming up, Mike, the Supreme Court was under a, you know, dis discussion about whether they should expand the word sex to include some other categories like transgender, um, sexual preferences, et cetera. And they came to the conclusion that sex covered it. Now, that being said, those protected categories for whom uh, you cannot discriminate against, many of which, you know, come under sexual harassment, the states add to those protected categories where they see fit. So many states like New York and California have added to those protected categories pregnancy. So I think a lot of our listeners and a, and a lot of other people think traditionally sexual harassment is just a male supervisor, you know, discriminating against their subordinate. And yes, you know, that would usually fall under quid pro quo. And that usually would entail, you know, go out on a date with me or I'll fire you, go out on a date with me and I'll give you a raise. Um, type of quid pro quo sexual harassment, but there are other types of sexual harassment. And one of the ones that is really prevalent in the courts right now is discriminating against a woman who's pregnant, right? Oh, you can't do this job anymore. We're in manufacturing, just go out on, on maternity. Or a, a woman who's pregnant asking for a chair, and this is a, a real case, to sit on at a bank or a stool, you know, because she was a teller at a bank and they said, no, all the tellers have to stand. No, you, you can't have a, or asking for an extra break because uh, they're pregnant and they need, you know, some extra um, rest or after they have the baby expressing milk. So yeah. this, you know, when we talk about sexual harassment, that strict definition that I gave it has been expanded and the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which oversees and regulates Title VII, recognizes those 
subtleties and and those other categories that fall under sex, which includes transgender, which includes homosexual, which includes um, pregnancy. So, you know, when the employers feel as though, you know, I've had employers say to me, well, we're, we're all men, I don't need to do sexual harassment training. Well, I can give you an example where a construction company that we support, you know, somebody almost fell into a hole, his manager grabbed the back of his coat, right? <clears throat> and probably touched his body when he did so to save him from falling into a hole. Yeah. And the employee, you know, felt like they were sexually harassed. And I went and did the investigation and we did not feel based on the evidence that we had that it constituted sexual harassment, but the employer was happy that the employee felt they had the correct information to report that instance so that we could go through the correct cadence, the legal cadence of doing an investigation, getting back to the employee and making sure that we recheck the culture that we have and the you know information that the employees have as far as being able to make those claims we want them to come to the employer if we don't know something happened we can't fix it yeah um i feel like there's so many nuances here that yeah i'm just going to advance this probably next to, to the next slide here where we talk examples because i know you have a, a bunch of them um and, it seems to me like there's so much confusion here. Uh, not just so there's obviously there's a sea change in our culture around this is not just uh, men sexually harassing women. Uh, it can go both ways, but uh, uh, around uh, transgender and just gender issues in, in general, uh, I think there there's going to be a lot of confusion here. Uh, for a long time, but I think one maybe obvious thing for, forget forget the 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 called the last decade uh, in movements around gender issues is this is not just an employer employee relationship we're talking about. We're not talking about the creepy boss who stands too close to to the office manager. This is as an employer the environment you create for your employees and how they interact with each other as well, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's why the training is so important, right? Because we can't be with every employee all day long. Even our managers can't be with the employees all day long. So it behooves us to do the training, to improve our culture, and to make sure that that culture is positive and that these behaviors are not occurring. And the only way to really do that is to explain it through this training and through a strong policy. So if we move on to the examples, I do feel like this is helpful, right? So I already started to explain that sexual harassment isn't just male to female, it could be female to male, it could be male to male of a homosexual nature or a heterosexual nature, female to female. I'll give you another example. Uh, we had an employer who was a bank and the uh, teller manager was under a lot of pressure to sell more products, right? 
you know, have your tellers sell more products. So she got all her tellers together who just happened to be females. Um, and she said, okay, team, this is how we're gonna sell more. I want you to wear short skirts and tight dresses and low cut shirts, and we're gonna sell, sell, sell more products. And one of the, you know, tellers, you know, timidly raised her hand and said, you know, I don't feel comfortable dressing that way. And, and you know, I really, I'm not gonna do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And, and the manager said, well, that'll be reflected in your raise then. So that would be sexual harassment. And I think that a lot of employers may not know that definition. And so when we do the training for our employers, we make sure that we give good examples like this, right? So there are four different types of sexual harassment, physical, verbal, written, and, and visual. And I think intuitively everybody knows that, but let's give a couple of examples. Let's talk about physical. So yes. I think when we think physical, we think, you know, um, I'm grabbing you, right? Um, and I've had many instances, you know, again, <clears throat> all the, you know, investigations that I've had, you know, I had one where, you know, a woman had a, a shirt with sequins that, you know, if you move that the sequins, they say one word and you move the other way. And it's across her chest. And this was a fire department. And, you know, the guys were just going up and moving the sequins. Well, I think you and I, Mike, and a lot of people on the call are like, you know, gasping, like, that's horrible. We would know that that is, you know, inappropriate. But when I did the investigation, the gentleman that I interviewed who, or a couple of them who had done it were like, we just, you know, why, why, why is that bad? So again, every time I do the training, I solidify the fact that it needs to be done. Um, and, and I start the training a lot of times by saying, I, you know, I'm here to protect you as an employee from sexual harassment, but also from, you know, doing sexual harassment, because I think a lot of times we just make <coughs> stupid, inappropriate mistakes. And I'm not making excuses for that behavior because it is inappropriate and unprofessional, et cetera. But, you know, it needs to be defined. So physical could also be just being too close, right? So picture, you know, in the office, leaning over somebody looking, looking at the computer. You know, we need to be aware of people's physical space and everybody has a different distance, right? That they're comfortable with, right? Yeah, how, and- How do you guide people along there? Cause I'm getting this old Seinfeld close talker episode in my yes, head, right? A hundred percent. I give that example. So, so, and again, it's cultural, it's personal. Normally it's an arm's distance uh, that most people feel comfortable with. And if you're going to encroach on that, you know, physical space, I recommend that you ask, hey, Mike, I need to look at your computer screen. Do you want to move away? Can I sit in your seat while you move? You know, how do you feel comfortable? Especially um, <laughs> as we still, you know, get through the pandemic, we want to be cognizant of physical space. You know, going back to physical, I did training for managers once and they one manager raised their hand and said, Mary, does that mean I should stop the employees from giving each other massages in the lunchroom? 
And, you know, everybody else in the room was like, <gasps> you know, yes, yes. But this manager wasn't sure that she should stop that. She's like, well, they like it. But the problem that I think we need to recognize is that whether or not your employee complains about the sexual harassment, it still may make them comfortable, uh, uncomfortable. They may not want to say anything in the workplace because it is a manager or it's their friends and they're afraid to get in trouble or be embarrassed. This is a very difficult subject yeah. to discuss. So if we do not stop these behaviors before somebody complains that are that are inappropriate and unprofessional, then that employee may feel more comfortable going to the Department of Labor or the Division of Human Rights and making the claim, as they should, as is their right. But as employers, we should be stopping these inappropriate behaviors before they occur. So if I don't know if there's much more you can say on that, but that one's really curious to me. So like, like on face value, I think, well, of course you don't have, you know, we don't give each other back rubs in the, in, in, in the lunchroom, but I can envision a culture of a small business family like run operation where uh, everyone believes that everyone likes it because maybe of five people, four of them love it. And they, they really do, it helps to relieve stress and they like to receive, they like to give, and it's not sexual in nature at all. But right. one person who feels uncomfortable, they're creeped out by it, but it's clear that everyone, this is part of what everyone else does. They don't feel comfortable saying anything. How the heck do you, uh, I, I'm, I'm I understand what you're asking and I'll, and I'll, give, yeah. I'll give you a great example. Yeah. One of my favorite clients yeah. is a nonprofit. And the first time that I went to do anti-sexual harassment training for them, as I walked in the door, and I had known this client maybe four months, as I walked in the door, they hugged me, and they hugged every uh, each other as they sat down for the presentation. Yeah. And so I brought that up, and I said, listen, I can give you advice, but I'm not here to be the culture police. But I will invite you to think about the fact, and I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand, that maybe one of the 20 people in this room is not comfortable with that. But because everybody's doing it, they're not saying anything, right? right? And, you know, I think, you know, I, I actually, you know, spoke with everybody individually and they all seem to be comfortable with it so you know your culture and that's part of their positive culture it is an amazing amazing organization yeah so yeah. you know again i'm not here to be the culture police i am giving advice and what i always say to my employers that we support is i add tons of value my team adds tons of value on the compliance side but you can find compliance anywhere. You can buy a system to give you compliance. You can ask an attorney and pay, you know, five, $600 an hour to give you compliance. And we do a great job of that. But where I really add value, where our team from Assure really adds value is best practices. Because we are dealing with not one employer. I haven't just worked at three other places. 
we are doing consulting and we have thousands of clients that we have done this training for, that we have done investigations for, that we have written handbooks for and policies for. And so we add value also with best practices. And, and, and that's a perfect example. And as we go further with these types of sexual harassment, let's talk about verbal, right? So yeah. we all know that dirty jokes would be inappropriate. Well, I'm gonna give you an example that happened at one of my employers. You and I are very good friends, right? And if we were in an office, I know you and I'd be hanging out, going to lunch, maybe telling jokes, I don't know. But let's just say that, you know, you and I are always, you know, telling telling jokes, right? And that's okay, because we're friends. It's really not appropriate in the, in the workplace, but for now, let's just go with this example, because this is what happened at an employer. But Scott sits next to us, and Scott hears those dirty jokes, and Scott's offended. Yeah. That is still sexual harassment. Right. Even though we didn't do it directly to Scott, and, and let's go back to verbal. Let's say you and I give each other back rubs in the workplace, but we're friends, so that's okay. Scott may be offended by that. And that's sexual harassment. This right. is how I have to invite employers to think out of the box. Even if it doesn't happen directly to me, even mm -hmm. if you don't say that dirty joke to me, even though you don't sit on my lap, but you sit on somebody else's lap and run your hands through their hair. These are all examples from employers, right? Right. Um, that can still be sexual harassment. And, and this is where I was going at the top of the conversation, <clears throat> where this is not interaction, you as an employer in, with your employees, the boundaries of good and bad. It's the environment that you must create under Title VII to protect your employees, right? Correct. And so. <laughs> I'll give you one more example from an employer where, you know, an employer called me and said, gee, Mary, I need you to help me with an employee relations issue. My receptionist has always been a good employee, but now I'm always looking for her and I can't find her. And so I feel like I need to write her up, but she's been a stellar employee. I said, well, let me talk to her. Let's, let's, let's have a conversation before we move to a warning notice. And so as I spoke to this employee, she actually started to cry and say, the reason that I haven't been at my desk a lot is because when the UPS guy comes, he makes verbal comments about how I look that are of a sexual nature and make me feel really uncomfortable. And I get this all the time when I went back to the employer and I and I said this and you know we we called UPS we said we want a different you know person etc. The employer said, well, why didn't she just say something to me? And when I'm in training, I'll say to the class, why didn't she say anything? And the answer is so obvious. I can't understand why the employers don't under because it's embarrassing because you feel sometimes like it's your fault because of the way you dress, because you were friendly to them, because you feel like if you make a complaint, it may jeopardize your job. There's multiple reasons, but that individual gave me all of those reasons. And so the reality is, 
Yeah, and, and, and the reality is the, the burden you bear as an employer is high, right? That's right, that's right. You know, and if you're, you're, not, you're an entrepreneur and you think they didn't tell me, how could I do anything about it? That's not fair. Well, you know what, it isn't fair, but the burden of being the employer is very, very high. And it is your job to create that environment where he or she feels comfortable coming to you, right? And, and, and God forbid this thing does escalate to the Department of Justice uh, under an EEOC claim, uh, you at least have to be able to defend how you how you did your best to create that environment. Right. And, you know, what what we unpacked for that employer is, you know, she didn't it wasn't clear to her how she could make a complaint. Right. So that's, you know, part of the strength of having outsourced HR is I'm not friends with the owner. I'm not the owner we are external and what we find is that the employees and he this this employer had just brought us on to assist them um and so you know going forward we found that you know people were more the employees were more comfortable coming forward because we made it clear here's the person that you can go to and they're external so if we move on to written sexual harassment again I think all of us are like, oh, well, that's obvious. You can't send an email or a, to a text or a note or a post, right? But let me give you a couple examples there. So we had an employer that we supported. It was it actually happened to be in New York City. And I'm sure you realize that when, you know, young people jo join your organization, they become friendly. They say, hey, Mike, you know, let's connect on, on Instagram. So these two uh, individuals connected on Instagram and at, you know, six o'clock one night, um, you know, one uh, employee and ha happened to be male. It's, you know, not that that's important to the story, but happened to be a male started, you know, instant messaging the uh, young woman and saying, come out for a drink. And she said, no, I'm, I'm tired. No, thanks. And as the night went on, um, and it was obvious that the young man was at a bar, um, and he he was saying that he was drinking, the texts got more and more aggressive. You know, yeah. you know, I find you sexy. You know, I just want your you know sexy body next to me. You know, I'm on my third shot. Come on, you can just have one. You yeah, and they it just went downhill from there. Yeah. And so what I also need employers to understand is that it is on social media. So if I make a post that says Scott is so sexy, I love those tight shirts he wears and you like my post, you and I both could be, uh, you know, sexually harassing Scott during work so, so this, or after work i want to yeah this, this is and this is one of the things i want to unpack with you today because this is so hard in a, in a social media world right it's like what where as an employer what is your responsibility for drawing lines in the sand where employees are gonna they're gonna become friends so you can you right. can set clear expectations for what happens in the workplace um, but when those employees are on the weekend doing their own thing and their friends on social media, how, how can you police it? Should you even police it? 
how, how do you draw those lines? So let's not get too far into the weeds, but I will tell you what the courts will say. If Good. you yeah. knew or should have known that sexual harassment was occurring, you should take action. Right. So, so we are not charged with, you know, looking at social media on a continual basis, uh, nor, nor do I recommend that. And, you know, your policy is also going to help, you know, put some guardrails on this. Look, you know, Mr. Judge, this is what, you know, our policy read. So the employee should have known not to make these actions. Right. And, you know, this education with our employees is paramount it is very 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 important right because they need to understand you know where and when to be appropriate and where it shouldn't be appropriate i you know i i just can't stress enough um, that this education needs to take place and then if we move to our next you know uh, example which is visual okay, Mary, you know, can I, can I stop? one last thing on the written and i don't want to beat up the sure. point too much um I, you, I think you made it give a provide a really important clarification is so that so how the courts are, how the court will look at it is what employers should really care about right and if you if you knew or should have known that's a, that's a pretty good definition but uh, i'm curious on the if you if you had known so two employees they, they're, they're good model employees. <clears throat> they end up becoming personal friends. And uh, on the weekends, one employee pursues another one romantically and it's unwanted. Um, and that person tells you, the boss, yeah, yeah, last weekend, so-and-so kept on hitting me, hitting, hitting at me. It was kind of creepy, I didn't like it. What's your responsibility in that scenario? I know this isn't shades of gray, but um, it's outside the work environment. You have been notified that employee told you, but also wasn't in the context of a workplace. What would be your guidance there? So in, in any instance where an employee makes a complaint, our responsibility as an employer, and this is what we help our employers with, is to immediately do an investigation. When the investigation is done, a uh, you know outcome will determine what the affirmative actions need to be taken place and okay. again best practices whether or not we find sexual harassment i give additional training to all individuals involved not as a punishment as guidance to help yeah. them so that's the so that's that that's what the fact that you do an investigation sends such a strong signal to how you protect your employees we when care right we care right yeah we care. all right i'll let you get to your last one visual because it's a good one too so visual you know let <laughs> me you know visual can be staring at somebody's body parts sharing inappropriate youtube videos again you and i are buddies i'm showing you my youtube video but candace is is you know in the room and looking over you know she can't help but see it you know that's going to be inappropriate bringing in inappropriate magazines and 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 i'll give you a really good example so one of our employers happens to be a manufacturer 
really, really nice culture. So every time it's somebody's birthday, they have a birthday cake and a little party. So one of the uh, gentlemen said, oh, oh, give me your phone and I'll take pictures of, of the party, right? You you guys are enjoying, it's, it's your birthday, he said to Gladys, let's just say, it was her birthday, um, I'll take pictures. So he takes a bunch of pictures and when Gladys opens her phone and looks at those pictures, the pictures are of mostly women's breasts, okay? And we, and we can giggle about that, that's okay. Um, when I go to do the investigation and I'm, and I'm interviewing all the people involved, right? So I talked to all the witnesses, you know, the person who makes the complaint, which was Gladys, the individual who took the pictures and the witnesses, I talked to everybody. But when I talked to the individual, and let's just call him Joe, who took the pictures, Mike, he literally started to cry and he's like, I'm sorry, they just looked so good. I thought I should take pictures of them, right? Meaning, you know, the women's breasts. And, wow. you know, you know, I, I, that's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> right. And right. So that's why I say nobody says, oh, I meant to sexually harass those women. And, and this man had been at the organization for 20 years, Mike. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you and I recognize that as, you know, sexual harassment, inappropriate, unprofessional, et cetera, et cetera. But, and I'm not making excuses for his behavior. Please do not misread me. It was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't know that. You know why? Because they had never done sexual harassment training. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I had been on the employer and on the employer and on the employer, and he never did the sexual harassment training. Right. Um, and, yeah. you know, it cost him a really good employee because. You know, a lot of times the correct, you know, you know, action that an employer needs to take is to terminate the employee, whether or not they meant to sexually harass somebody. The uh, intent has little, not nothing, but little to do with the action that an employer needs to take. Right. Yeah. So that that I think is is an important differentiator there. I I have one, and this might just sound stupid question. It it, it, it had physical, verbal, written, visual could be all all of them in here. Just something that I I, I, I just think employers need to hear, and it, it's just how you can't compartmentalize this stuff, right? So, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, Mad Men uh, uh, era. Uh, stuff that still kind of sometimes happens today. I've, I've seen it in the last decade where great professional work environment by day, the company Christmas party or the summer picnic, um, all of a sudden it goes real raunchy, real fast and it's shocking. Uh, and maybe it's 80, call it 80% of the, of the employees are laughing hysterically uh, because they're all friends and it's, but there are, there are not outliers, but there are people that are just awestruck by the level of discourse. Um, can you just give some coaching here on, the, if it's a work event, it's work. There, there, there's no difference because it's the Christmas, Christmas party or the, the holiday party and there's alcohol involved that your responsibility is any less 
than it would be if it was in the confines of the brick and mortar work building. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, you know, that's why education is so important because we don't want our employees doing something that puts them or the organization in jeopardy, and more importantly, makes somebody feel uncomfortable. How yeah. can you be productive if you're uncomfortable? And I'm, I'm just going to end with, you know, in, in this portion with one example that I try to give in in all of my trainings, because what I say to everybody is I don't want individuals walking out of the training and wow. saying, well, you know, I can't have any fun at work. And so I give the example, you know, can I say, Mike, you look really nice today. And I think everybody pretty much agrees that that's OK. But. Yeah. Here's what I need you to think about. Does Mike feel like that's okay? So it, it, it does matter, right? I already said that this sexual harassment does not need to be directed to you for you to make a claim of feeling uncomfortable or that it is a pervasive, you know, workplace of sexual harassment, okay? Yeah. Um, but what Mike feels is what the courts are going to ask. And so I go a little bit further and and I can really, you know, you know, you can add physical, verbal and visual, right? And I can stare, you know, up and down your body parts, walk around you and go, "Oh, Mike, you are so sexy today." <laughs> right? Now, that would never happen anywhere, but continue and, with your new case. <laughs> Right. Now, everybody knows that that's inappropriate. Right. Um, and again, Mike might be like, yeah, thanks, Mary, and be OK with it. He might say, thanks, Mary, and smile and not be OK with it. And the other people could go both ways also and feel inappropriate. Right. Uh, yeah. And uncomfortable. So what I need to make clear is that intent has little to do with it. It really comes down to how the person um, who is receiving that uh, feels. And when we give the training, we try to use the platinum rule, right? So the, the golden rule is treat others the way they want to be treated. But what we try to invite employers and employees to think about is I have to treat when I'm in a workplace each individual the way that particular individual wants to be treated because your line that can be crossed is different than mine it's different than scott's it's different than everybody else's i might be able to take a couple dirty jokes but that third one that may hit on a chord for me may be inappropriate and that's why best practice and to be in the, the legal confines is that we are telling our employees no inappropriate physical, verbal, written, or visual acts in the workplace will be acceptable. It is zero tolerance. That's the best way to do it, to stay within the confines of the federal law, the state laws, and to make your culture as positive as possible to help you meet your business goals. Right, right. And, and this is what I think is the hardest thing for employers and why training is so critical. <clears throat> There's certain, certainly there is, I mean, we, we all, all of us have our own political and social beliefs, right? And so we, we all sit in different, different parts of a spectrum. 
Um, and there are going to be some that, you know, gosh darn right. And there are going to be some that, that this is crazy out of control. I, I think it's, I think it's logical to assume you can't create an environment that offends no one, right? That if, if you get a group of two people together, I mean, eventually somebody's going to be offended by something, right? Um, and, and, and hopefully, you know, we're obviously in the, in the this context of this conversation is about sexual harassment, but there are, there's just simply going to be different tolerances uh, uh, for, uh, for, I guess, all, I don't have to listen to all, it's all the things we, we've been talking about for the last hour. Um, right. Right. But this is one of the things that's different of uh, this law versus most law. The most law, the burden of proof, it, it's innocent uh, uh, until proven guilty, right? Um, this is one of those things that uh, it really is. It's it, it's not it's not always going to be clear matter of fact. Did we break the law? Did we? Uh, you know, OSHA has standards. And they're pretty black and white, you know. It's 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 pounds and inches and measurements and right. Did uh, did you have certain safety devices on your ladder? These are not as black and white because there's going to be an element here that is perception of the recipient and the complainant, right? right. Um, so uh, I I wouldn't as a as an entrepreneur myself, I wouldn't advise trying to create a culture that is so watered down. That you're on you're on eggshells around all employees because uh, you're just scared to death of offending anyone. Um, right. Um, but the the thing you can do so you can err on the side of respect, and uh, from a legal standpoint, the the judge is going to see as long as you have demonstrable proof that you are working towards creating a, an environment that is uh, harassment free and more importantly protects from it you're gonna get a lot of grace here, right? Um, uh, and so I, I think there's just this balance that employers have to strike about uh, still proactively leaning in, creating a culture um, uh, in letting human beings be human beings, but uh, where to draw these lines. So a perfect segue to a close here. If you wanna just talk about strategies for prevention, be, and obviously the big the punchline today is training, 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 training. Right, right. But in addition to the training, the states that mandate it, the six states that I mentioned, mandate a policy as well. And don't forget, there's also mandate to uh, post. So federally, you do also have to post um, an anti-discrimination, which covers sexual harassment policy. Um, from the federal government, the states that mandate uh, sexual harassment mandate that you post the policy and give the policy to your employees, which typically would be in your handbook. Now, as far as that policy goes for any employer, it should be clear that the employee has a place to make that complaint and how they make that complaint and we find that it is, again, very helpful when there is a way to make that complaint outside of the organization, uh, as in the example of our you know, HR consultants. But minimally, there has to be two people to go to, Mike. They can't just be able to go to Scott because if their complaint is against Scott, they have to have somebody else to go to. Right. And then those policies, and again, we're being brief here. I could spend a whole hour on the policy itself, but we write those, this for employers, so we certainly can help with this. You should have the 
federal protected categories and you should also have the state protected categories if they differ um, and make sure that it says there are there is zero tolerance and retaliation is also against the law and that should be in the policy and i will tell you that the number one lawsuit is not sexual harassment or discrimination it's retaliation it is easier to prove and what could happen is in the instance of the construction company that i told you about when i counseled the manager afterwards he said i can't work with that guy i hate that guy i can't believe he made that claim and i said oh, oh, that's retaliation treating right. him different in any way right taking everybody else out to lunch and not that individual ignoring him right not giving him a raise giving him a poor evaluation that is unfounded that is all retaliation and that is the number one claim so employers need to train their managers specifically explain it to your employees but train your managers and supervisors who are on the front line what retaliation means that it is illegal and oh the other thing that we need to explain to managers is they may in most states be named in that sexual harassment claim if they knew or should have known so if i go to my manager and i say i feel i've been sexually harassed and they go oh mike would never sexually harass you i can be held liable and that yeah. is a very important reason to train your managers and a way to get their buy-in not to scare them but to explain how this works okay yeah yeah and again that training you know so we provide e-training that is fabulous it is in english it is in spanish it is for each mandated state the non-mandated states it includes a couple other trainings on our platform and it includes um five different industries that you could have it done but further we give live training just like i'm giving this training that can be thoroughly customized that we talk to the employer in advance and say hey mike what are some of the issues you've been having let's address it straight on in the training right i was doing training for a nonprofit, um and i you know they have some individuals who live with each other in a group home there's different issues for them than my manufacturing client and so that customized training may be better for some employers. So I want you, you know, whether or not you use Assure to do your training, we should be thinking about the different vehicles we can use. You know, I've, I've done investigations where I knew the employee got the, the training once a year on the computer. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know it by heart so much. I just click through because I know, I know the answers because there's usually tests. That's not yeah. going to be as effective as customized training although it will you know check the box and it's better than nothing right yeah. um and we need to continually speak about the zero tolerance for sexual harassment we need to investigate investigate every single claim thoroughly and effectively and if you don't have somebody internal who can do those investigations then you should be utilizing Assure HR services to do those investigations to ensure, number one, you know, again, I go back to 
we're an impartial source, right? So sometimes yeah. those investigations done by the HR team that may be good friends with the person that the complaint was made to um, may not feel as effective to the person making the complaint. It may be just as effective, but the optics there may not be as good. So a policy training employees and managers, zero tolerance, you know, in, you know, posting the policy, giving the policy, having complaint forms, which are mandated in some of the states like New York, but you should have one anyway, so that employees can do it in writing or verbally. And making sure that we are continually talking about our culture of fully heard, fully respected, all employees. And again, this leads to you know, minimizing our, our exposure for litigation, but in my mind, just as important, protecting our organization and moving towards a positive culture. Yeah. You know what? I think that's a good place to wrap. We could, we could talk on the strategies for, for prevention a, a whole bunch, and I'm sure we're going to have more conversations in the future on it, but uh, Mary, this, this has been great. So um, uh, here, here's here's how I would, I would invite uh, uh, everyone listening today to to think about this. So whether you whether you hire an attorney uh, to do your small organization, you can't afford the seventy ninety hundred ten thousand uh, dollar SHRM certified HR person on your staff. Um, and so whether you hire an attorney to do compliance work for you, or you use somebody like us to do this on a fractional basis. Um, uh, most of the time, I'm going to say Google's your friend, but Google can get you in a lot of trouble if you try doing HR on your own. And so one of the things that we do, uh, along with payroll and HR software, is HR services that Mary's team provides. Uh, uh, at, at the most basic level, it's what we call HR support for managers, where Mary's team on a fractional basis and truly pennies on the dollar uh, compared to what it would cost to hiring your own HR professional uh, on your staff to help your management team, and that could be a team of one, it could be you, or it could be uh, 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 all the, the supervisors in your organization uh, to help them understand the law, make sure that you have uh, 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 employee handbook uh, that's updated, you have compliance policies and posters, and those managers have a resource to ask questions uh, and, and use online tools to find out, hey, this just happened, what should I do? Uh, uh, strategic HR for managers also supports your managers, but now we're getting into the proactive uh, 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 support that includes training, includes sexual harassment training, includes uh, a, a number of other training courses uh, to help your employees stay compliant that we will provide that training for your employees. Total HR for all employees, this is what Mary's referring to where we literally become your outsourced HR department, right? And so many times an employee, uh, they, especially in an area of like sexual harassment where there's there's still so much gray area because it's around perceptions of the recipient of this behavior that the uh, on one side it might seem like this is a non-issue, but this person feels uncomfortable. Uh, the, the, and that person just might not feel comfortable reporting the issue because they know that the office manager who they're supposed to report this stuff to is close friends with the owner and they just think and the complaint was about the owner's behavior so they don't feel com comfortable telling the office manager because they think it's just going to go back to the owner nothing's going to happen and it could actually get worse for them so having an independent unbiased third party for employees uh to to talk to 
uh, overwhelmingly employees will tell you that that's what they prefer. So uh, whatever model you choose, we can scale this up, scale this down to give your organization uh, the, the, the guidance, best practices to help you stay compliant with HR laws, uh, but also help you develop a people strategy and develop a culture to make your employees more productive. So with that, Mary, thanks again. Always love talking to you. Thank you. This is great. And so uh, any any company, uh, uh, small or mid-sized, that is growing, you're going through change, you're experiencing the sea change in uh, federal, state, and local laws uh, as they get harder and harder to comply with, uh, and as we, especially as we come out of a pandemic and all of us get back to trying to grow our businesses again, uh, we would love to help you in any way. Thanks so much for your time, and until next week. Thanks, Mary. Thank you.